Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. The scripture for this Bible study will be taken from the book of Acts, the sixth chapter, beginning with verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 7, beginning with verse 54, about the stoning of Stephen. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, you have the problem before you and set off a firework that's still going on today, I think. How many of you feel like you're a chosen person? Or maybe I worded it wrong. How many of you don't feel like it, but you know that you're a chosen person? Do you know you're a chosen person? Do you know that you're chosen because you've accepted Christ? You didn't choose him. He chose you. There's no difference between being a Christian and being chosen. It's like that says you, you're chosen, but you may not uh, venture it and so forth. Well, this is the situation that we face ourselves with in the lesson today. The problem of the church rose early in the life of the church. And so to deal with this problem, it was in the first couple of verses there, that the problem was that some people felt that they were being neglected within the church. As a group within the church felt that they were being neglected, while some were getting all the attentions and some other people were not getting attention that they deserved. You think that's a problem 2,000 years old? Well, it's as new as yesterday within the average church. Someone around here is always feeling that they're being neglected. Well, to take care of this problem in the early church, they called a meeting. That's a good thing to do. They called a meeting of the church, the elders. They got together and decided that uh, there are some people who are called to minister the word. And they should not take time to take care of the nitty-gritty stuff. And so they decided that what they needed is to choose some folk to take care of the responsibility that the church has to its total membership. Now this is exactly what they did. And so they chose a man full of grace and devoted, dedicated, committed person, as we know in the New Testament, is Stephen. He was one of the first to be chosen of the seven. Now here is the earliest place that we have, so far as I know, within the scriptures, or within the life of the church, where the lay person has been chosen. 
And look at the importance of this situation. You see, it seemed like it's not on par with the service or ministry of the word. But dear ones, it stands right in there in this type of a situation. We are called to do different things. And we're chosen to do different things. Any way you want to look at or what you want to say. And the work that you're doing around the church is of great importance. When they made this decision, they did not know, I am quite sure at the time, of what it was going to lead to. And the revolution it was going to bring about within the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think these men understood or knew. They couldn't have any more than some of the decisions that we make, how far-reaching they are, and what they will do down through the quarters of time. But here's where they really set off some fireworks. There was a matter within the church that needed to be taken care of, and so they figured out a way to take care of it, and so they chose Stephen to head this job. And to do what? To do what? A very practical thing. A very practical thing. You know, we look around the church in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility. What is the most important <clears throat> position within the church? You know, uh, how many of you have ever gone into a dirty church, visit a dirty church and say, I don't want to come back to this place because it's just not very well kept? So that you think about the practical things about the church that need to be taken care of, and here's where we find it within the scriptures where it really started. Now, those people who were not being taken care of, they appointed people to take care of the total church situation to see that all the needs of the people were being met in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Stephen took over this job and called for some help to be had within the church and some changes to be made in order that this program be carried out properly. And you begin to get a feeling then of why he began to run in trouble. I don't care whether it's 2,000 years ago or whether it's today. When somebody has the ability and capability to see how the Lord Jesus Christ can be served more properly and better, see how the church can be more effective. If it calls for change, look out you're going to run into problems. Now, who was here when the kitchen uh, was in this place right here? Anyone could see that knew anything about the situation. They had the kitchen here and they served way down the hall here. <laughs> down in the other wing over here. Well, I got here and saw these women running up and down the hall here. And that hall was just an open room. And I suggested, well, why don't we move the kitchen down there? And two ladies within this church, God love them, they said, you move that down there over our dead body. <laughs> well, you get the picture. You see, the point that I want to make is simply this, and it is so true. Whether it was uh, 2,000 years ago or whether it was yesterday, when there are those people within our fellowship the Lord always provides. He always provides leadership within the congregation. People who have vision and insight and understanding can see how we can more effectively serve our Lord and make the church more the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that includes everybody. That these people, when they call for us to make changes, 
man, we dig in. And we don't want to change. We don't want anything to be any different than it was. And this is exactly what this man ran into so many, many years ago when the church was young. And what a fight that it caused. The great struggle that Stephen was in turned ugly and deadly. Now, to see the situation for what it really was, we need to know something of the background to the situations. Now, the Jewish people knew that they were the chosen people. From time immemorial down to the day, they knew that they were the chosen people. But the tragedy of it was in the way that they saw themselves as being chosen. They thought they were very special people and a very privileged people. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But the trouble came when these chosen, privileged people read the situation. They read it that everybody was supposed to serve them. They looked at the Gentile people in the day of Stephen as being only worthy to be their servants. Or even more perfectly, to put it, to be their slaves. The Gentile people were just not on the totem pole at all. Not that they were on the social ladder at all. They didn't even have a rung on the ladder. They were below the lowest rung on the ladder, you see. And they could never, ever dream of the awesomeness of the situation that they were a privileged people, but they were privileged to take the message of God to the world. It never seems to have crossed their mind. No, that's not quite right, because you see in the Old Testament, Hosea and some of these other prophets tried to tell them that in the fact that they were privileged and they were called people, they were called to responsibility to Almighty God to take his message to the total world. But in the day, the, the situation that we're dealing with here within our scriptures, they knew they were privileged all right, and they were chosen. But chosen for what? To sit around and to be cared for by other people? for the Gentiles to be our slaves and to take care of us. They never dreamed that they were chosen to serve. Now, when they're faced with a change, you have some entrenched situations. Now, you see, and they were entrenched in their thinking, you see, because they thought that the temple is the only place to worship. A temple is the only place to worship. You can't really worship God anywhere else. You see, to sacrifice to God properly, it has to be done here within the temple and it involves the people of the temple. You say, who's in charge? Now, if you take this religion outside the temple, those priests and those who are in charge of the temple have lost control of the situation. Now, if you'd have been back there in that day and you'd ask them, are you afraid are you going to lose control of the situation? Well, they would have denied that. Of course they would have. No, no, no. That's not the reason why. This is a godly thing, and on a godly premise, this is the only place that you can really worship God is here in the temple. You see, so we have to protect our turf. We've got to keep the temple. All people have got to come to the temple here, and we can't be responsible for the total people within the world. They're not even in the picture. Now the second thing they had that they had to guard and protect was the Jewish law. This cannot be altered and it cannot be changed. 
Nothing can interfere with the law, you see. It can't be changed. It's a fixed situation. The super law. Now, you see, it had arrived in their day, like many things within our church can arrive among us today. The temple took the place of God. Now, again, if you'd ask them, are you worshiping the temple? They denied it. But you see, the emphasis is on the temple, not God. Now, the same thing happened to the law. Precisely the same thing. It was not God they were trying to protect, but who or what, I should say. It was the law they were trying to protect because of the place it gave them and their custom and, and the things that they were able to do. Now, here comes Stephen Long. He's touched to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a man of great compassion and a man of great vision. And he's trying to tell them, it's not just the temple. It's all people can worship God anywhere, any place. And it's not just the law. The law has something to say to us. But the love of God revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ far outweighs the law. You see, Stephen with his vision and with his understanding and touched of the Holy Spirit was able to see far beyond the people who were around him and his time. He tried desperately to free them from the shackles of the temple and especially the shackles of the law or he tried to free them from the slavery of the temple and the enslaving possibilities of the law. Now, he told them a story. The speech that Stephen makes to them to try to get them to see the reality of what he's trying to do, he tells them several stories, but I picked out one. He talks to them about Abraham. And he does that for a very special way. He tells them that uh, we know the story of Abraham, how God came to him and uh, for him to leave his own country and go into a distant land. And he tried to tell them, Abraham, your forefather, was a man of faith. He didn't know where he was going. He just knew that he was serving God. He was a man of hope. He didn't see it all the way, completely and totally, but he knew that somehow, some way, it was going to turn out right. And when he finished with this speech, among other things, he told them who they were and what they were doing and how they were rebelling actually against God. It says that they gnashed their teeth. It made them so mad. Now, dear ones, consider this thought here. When you cannot outdo the leader, when you can't rationally refute to what a leader is saying to us, you can't rashly refute what someone is calling on us to do within the church. You can't put up a real argument to stop it. What usually happens? It's always the same way we ever learn. Listen, when someone begins to discredit the messenger, look out. Honey, that raises not a caution light, but that should raise a red flag to us. Anywhere any place you see it or hear it, whether it be outside the church or inside the church, when they get off of the issue that is at stake and begin to question the messenger and discredit him, look out. There may be some truth to it, but in all probability, 
they do not have a logical argument for what this person is trying to say. And so they discredit the messenger. Okay, now here's your problem. I mean, this is what Stephen was up against. And so they didn't have any logical return for what Stephen was saying. They couldn't make valid a refute of his message. They knew what he was saying was true. And when he told them that you're kin to your forefathers who have stoned the prophets down through the ages, that was more than they could take. And so they decided the only thing that we can do with this character is to kill him. And we'll kill many, many, many of our prophets by one way or the, or the other, by isolating them some way or another. Get rid of him. One of the most bloody, chilling concepts of what can happen to good people, you see it here in relation to Stephen. Now, we must understand that these people who stoned Stephen to death, in one way, were not bad people. And we see them as being really cruel and mean, totally and completely, we miss what they were doing. The way that they were thinking caused them to do the thing that they really did. So they decided to kill him. And in the midst of this killing him is something that is absolutely astounding and amazing to me. It's a singular situation within the scriptures. We read this, that Stephen, when he was dying, says the heavens open. I want you to think about that. He saw the heavens open. Now we look at that and we say, well, nothing's ever happened to me like that. And that, in that way, that is true. But let me tell you something. I suspect at our age around this table that it's happened in principle to us more than any one time. How many of you have ever been at your wit's end? You see everything around you falling apart. You see the door of hope slammed in your face. You come to the awesome the reality of life that it's not going to be the same anymore. This part of my life is finished and done. The door has been closed. Difficulty, hardship, suffering, pain, and agony. The best that I have is gone or down the drain. It's finished. It's over. And then all of a sudden, it's like you get your second wind, you know. Uh, something happens. Something happens. And you're able to take a deeper breath. Now, if that has happened to you, and if you've ever had anything near that kind of an experience, dear ones, you have stood exactly where Stephen stood of long ago. In principle, no different. If you've ever had any experience even close to that, where you feel that you're at the end of your rope, and the sun has gone down, and there's no hope seemingly of a healthy sunrise ever, and then somehow, some way, the spiritual connotation comes to us, the spiritual present comes to us, and we can see the light, as we say, at the end of the tunnel. If you've ever felt that way, this situation here of Stephen, honey, you're in good company. 
you're in good company. And it happens to us because life is going to see to it somewhere, someplace, somehow, you're going to be knocked down. And you may be knocked down more than any one time. Again and again. But here in the midst of this tragic situation, what was Stephen able to see? Now someone had to be there to see it too. Or how could this have been recorded, you see? So there was a witness to this situation, you see, that was in tune with old Stephen down in the pit being stoned to death, you know. Oh, sure. And I said, the heavens open. Well, we know. Well, I would say at this age, if you haven't experienced it, you will. Just stick around. It's going to come somewhere along the way. You're going to be facing a blank wall. And so the heavens open. And it was a comfort to Stephen. The heavens opened. The air cleared. I can see. I can see. Well, you hear me say, I know what I know that I know. I know. Now, that's in keeping with what is happening right here. I know. Well, I'm like Paul. It doesn't make a difference. Let an angel come from heaven and say, hey, but you're just a little off base. Hold it, brother. You've got your words because you better go back and check out your source and see if you've got the right source. I know. Now, here's where Stephen is standing, you see. You don't do what Stephen did by just guesswork about it. I know. And he knew because he had seen what he was seeing, you know. It was a tragic situation. And this situation, it says that Stephen prayed. Now, this is an interesting prayer, to say the least, if you look at it for what it really is. What did Stephen pray for? What was, what was part of his prayer? When I read this about Stephen, I know something great's going on up there, but I can't quite get off the ground. <laughs> something is fantastic here, you see. Notice what he doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray that he won't have any pain and that he be free of suffering. I suppose one of the most brutal ways to die is to be stoned to death, to be stoned, because they hit you with, I would guess, with a lot of little stones as well as a big stone before you lose consciousness. He doesn't ask to be spared of his suffering. Now that's interesting to me. Um, it's not there. He's not asking God to change the situation even. One thing we do when we get a little hard put, we ask the Lord, well, change the situation for us, you know. Change the condition and the situation and let me out of this situation. No, so here's a man that's only asking God to receive his spirit. In a sense, what he's doing here. It's not that he's turning his spirit over to the Lord for the first time. He's done this a long time ago. That's not really the connotation that is really carried here. The real thought is carried here in the original tongue is that Stephen is asking Jesus to steady him as he goes. Yeah, that's it. Steady me as I go. Give me a steady hand here. Give me a steady spirit. Give me a spirit that doesn't plow off in every direction. And as he's saying to the Lord, 
put your hand on me. And study me as I go, you see, in this situation. This is a very interesting. Probably we could do no better than to do the very same thing, you see. Not that we ask that the Lord would dismiss us from all of our problems and our difficulties and our hardships, but to give me a steady spirit as I go. In other words, we get the same type of thought when we say, well, be with me in this situation. That's all I ask. Just be with me in this situation. Now, in effect, that is what Stephen was asking of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. Be with me in this particular situation. And then his thought was, you know, we give up on people. Here I see Stephen doing something that, of course, is absolutely astounding and amazing. You see, he's right. He's definitely right. There's no such thing as a worthless person. There's no such thing as being a group of people that don't have possibilities. There's no human being but what doesn't have possibilities. And this is what Stephen is addressing himself to here, you see. And here these miserable creatures they are cannot see above their own head. Killing, when they looked upon him, some of them saw him as the face of an angel. You see, here they are doing this cruel thing. And what Steve is saying, even in the midst of this awful thing that they're doing, there are still possibilities for them. This is a thing, if you're going to be carried through a hard time, it's going to be a vision of Jesus that's going to do it. Here's a singular situation within all the scriptures with Stephen. And you go back to the 14th chapter book of John. How does it go? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, many mansions, and I so I told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you might be also. Now, it took me a long time to realize that that's talking about death. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about dying, you know. And what is Jesus going to do when you die? What do you say he's going to do? I'm going to come by, and I'm going to receive you unto myself. Isn't that what he said? Okay. What did Stephen see when he was dying? Where was Jesus standing? It's important to get this, because you must see the tradition of that day, that when you went before a potentate, who stood? And who was it seated? The potentate was seated. You went before a king, he was always seated. You, the peon, was always standing or kneeling, right? Now, in this situation, who was standing at the right hand of God? When Stephen saw the throne of God, he saw Jesus not sitting to be received or to be waited upon, but he was standing at the right hand of God to accept you into the realm of his kingdom. Think about it, our Father. For your love, your care, we thank thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of his words, finishing the work he started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.